Don't even ask me the reason. Yeah, I know you hear freeway everywhere you go. Before rap, you seen freeway everywhere you at. You can vouch, she move, yeah, yo. Heavy with the crack, now I'm in there like Prego with the rock. Think like Legos with Mac. Now I do donuts on the cops, keep cradles and stacks in you. Know when you hot, when niggas hate on your tracks in you. Know when you shot, when bullets come out your back. But words coming out your mouth, watch the way you rap. Cause I'm from the streets and you'll hate the way I act. With a SK9 or a Dillinger, pick the heat. Mad cause I lounge. In the A-cylinder, pick a beat Fuck it up, holla at Julio, get a check My squad do circles like Kula Who switching freaks in the home After giving a snack, you can't sleep Wonder why your girlfriend not giving you sex Same nigga you told, can't stop hustling, won't eat oh. Tell me how we know it's like we need to take us places that we don't want to go Now I really want to change, but I'm chasing change Trying to ease the pain, shelter for the rain I don't want to hurt no more Tell me how we know it's like we need to take us places that we don't want to go Now I really want to change But I'm chasing change, trying to ease the pain It's not right. Welcome back, everyone. So this past weekend, we all witnessed as black talent was displayed on the football field. We marveled at the talent and the ingenuity that was got those God-given natural abilities displayed. Oh, you thought I was talking about the actual game? Of course not. No, what I was referring to was a halftime show featuring Mary J. Blige, Kendrick Lamar, Snoop Dogg, and Dr. Dre. Now, admittedly, this podcast was recorded before said halftime show, so I have no idea how it turned out. But assuming that they delivered on an amazing performance and everyone on social media had this commentary on the acts themselves and this that it was just incredible, let's just go with that. Because quite honestly, it doesn't really matter. Not for this podcast. Because my focus is not on the performance per se, but on the display of black talent in white spaces. But before we get into that, did you know that a black woman created this sanitary napkin? Well, it's true. Mary Beatrice Davidson Kenner created this ingenious item that eventually became the maxi pad. And guess what? She never received a dime. How you may ask? Well, Kenner never made any money from the sanitary pad because her patent expired. She was not able to monetize it based on the lack of opportunities that were afforded to women, especially black women at the time, in the inventor space. Thus, her invention patent expired and it became public domain allowing it to be manufactured freely without her receiving a dime. In her words, I was contacted by a company that expressed interest in marketing my idea. I was so jubilant, she said. I saw houses, cars, and everything about it to come my way. And then a company rep drove to Kenner's house in Washington to meet with the prospective client and said, sorry to say, when they found out, they were not interested. The representative went back to New York and informed the company that they were no longer interested. Yes, that company whose name is Soon Nat Pack, literally rejected an invention as they discovered that she was a black woman. Now, between 1956 and 1987, uh, Mary uh, received five total patents um, for household and personal items, and she even created a patent on a toilet tissue holder. Uh, she shares this patent with her sister, Mildred Davison. What really sticks out, though, is how, in the story, it's just how the world was able to use this talent, commoditize it, and cast off the person who was responsible for this beautiful gift. Women of all races have benefited. But proving once again that America slash the world benefits off the ingenious nature of black folks and then steps over them when it's time to acknowledge and or when they are through with them. 
using black talent as a vehicle for world enjoyment, a story as old as time. Now, how does this tie into Super Bowl halftime show? Well, per usual, I'm glad you asked. What many people don't realize is that the Super Bowl halftime show hasn't always been this glamorous event. Starting in 1967, it was mainly just part of the program that people usually ignored. It wasn't until 10 years later in 1977 that advertisers started using this portion of the game to sell products. In fact, in 1989 was the first year that the halftime show was sponsored by a corporation. No musical acts, just 3D magic show given by Coca-Cola. Yes, the lameness was felt even then, to the point that a little-known show, I don't know if you maybe heard of it, Living Color, decided to do counter-programming during the halftime show. This came to a head that in 1992, they were so successful with their counter-programming that the number of people that tuned into their show pissed off so many advertisers that they complained to the NFL. Because audiences were flipping the channel to see what culturally relevant thing that was happening. It was at that point that became an inflection year because then Super Bowl slash NFL decided we need to change things. We need to keep eyeballs on our television screen. So what did they do? They enlisted the biggest pop star in the world, Michael Jackson. Now, the Michael Jackson Super Bowl performance was incredible for a number of reasons. Number one, it showed his true, true star power because he literally sat on the stage for 65 seconds in complete silence and let the power of his stardom just uh, overwhelm the crowd. Only Michael could do something like that. But it showed once again that they needed black talent to sell the products, and it worked. And so now people were tuned into the halftime show, recharged, re-energized about what was going on. But eventually, as things happened, it got kind of lame again. Still, you know, things kind of waned. And in 2000, they decided to hire MTV to produce the halftime show. You know, they enlisted Nelly, NSYNC, Britney, the Rolling Stones, hitting all demos at once. It wasn't until 2004 when the proverbial shit hit the fan with Nibblegate. And we'll get into that later. What's more important is that CBS cut the cord with MTV producing the show and decided to go with a much more safer, homogenized, more white, palatable uh, talent. Thus ushering Tom Petty, Bruce Springsteen, and the E Street Band, and The Who. As one can imagine, the ratings died. It didn't work. So what what they do? Once again, they went back to black talent to save the day. Because guess what? Nobody was paying attention. And that's when he enlisted the purple one. Everybody remembers what happens. Prince came out and with his electric guitar and he electrified the crowd, literally playing Purple Rain while it was raining. Shout out to the family marching band who was actually getting the look and was actually marching, kind of tipping their cap to the, you know, how the uh, Super Bowl once started with marching bands and everything like that. But FAMU was on the field and we got to give, you know, we got to show love to the Rattlers. All of those are great, even to the point where, again, Super Bowl. Everybody was interested in the halftime show. Then, as cycles happened, things started to wane, and then they enlisted again a number big, another big pop star in 2013, Beyonce. And she literally blew off the roof of the Super Bowl would turn off the lights. Everything was great. Everything was functioning. Everything was so great. And then in 2015-2016 season, the Kaepernick kneeling controversy enveloped. And performance blackballed the halftime show with Rihanna famously turning them down. Rihanna and a performance of her ilk, black performers, literally blackballed the NFL 
and do, did not want to participate in this particular programming. Thus, Eschering Maroon 5, who ended up doing the Super Bowl show in 2018, which is considered by many the worst show in Super Bowl history. Viewership sank. So who does the Super Bowl slash the NFL turn to to revitalize your show? You guessed it, black talent. Getting the help of Jay-Z and Rock Nation to produce half the halftime show in the same vein they did the NFL went to MTV and trying to appease advertisers with eyeballs to get this great performance in front of, uh, get the great performance at the front of the cultural conversation. The sad part about it is black talent is always used to revitalize and prop up white spaces. Yet when it comes to real societal shifting, those spaces don't really change. Once they're done with us, we are casted aside and moved over. And whether we're talking about black inventor or an entertainer, it's easy to see how black talent is commoditized, while the black person who brought it into that space is casted out. And once again, they've gotten what they wanted. But you know, as Freeway once said, it's not right. All right, so thank you guys for listening to this podcast. I'm your host, uh, Kamara Williams, with Uncultured Bias Podcast. Um, you know, just a quick house clean keeping. If you are tuning in for the first time, welcome. Uh, just continue to share with your friends on this podcast. Sharing is caring, as we say. Give a shout out to our sponsors this week of mycompasstaxadvisors.com. You can actually reach them at 850-273-7193 or mycompasstax.com. Um, give a shout out to Keystone Global Real Estate. You can reach them at 407-680-8510 at keystoneglobalrealestate.com. And of course, Smith & Williams Trial Group, um, located in, in Central Florida. We can help you with guardianship, wills, probates, trust, all those wonderful things. All right? Perfect. I felt like I had to start off with <laughs> Freeway for two reasons. Number one, I just love the chorus, It's Not Right, because I felt like that's it's not right how people would be casting off black talent. But also... I got uh, my friend, Keisha, who's actually from Philadelphia, and I wanted to, you know, give her a little tip of the cap. You I know. appreciate that. North Philly appreciates you. North Philly appreciates me. Well, <laughs> I appreciate North Philly. Um, so, Keisha, welcome back to the pod. Thanks, Kamara. It's been what? Quite a, quite a few months. It's been quite a few months, huh? It, it's been quite a few months because this is technically the third episode. Yeah. Third or fourth. Mm. Yeah, because I did two episodes and then I did, yeah. So this is the fourth episode. Okay. Yeah, so I had a, you know, season two, we had to start it back up. You I know. appreciate it. I'm yeah. excited about season two. You're excited about season I'm two? I'm very excited about season two. Yes, I hear it in your voice. <laughs> <laughs> this is my excited voice, if you didn't know. That's your excited this voice? This is my excited voice. <laughs> okay. I'm still waking up, Kamar. I, yeah, yeah, I know. I appreciate you coming down because I know you were like, you're on meds. <laughs> I'm telling all your business. <laughs> it's all good. So back to uh, freeway. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. How do you like that opening? I loved it. I loved it. And I think it's the it's the perfect pathway to what we're going to talk about today. Hmm. Um. Freeway giving a freeway to you know um, black talent and black commoditization. You know. So. Um. So. I want to talk to you about the halftime show. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we talk about the halftime show, I really want to get play this clip. I usually don't start off a clip so early, but I feel like this is a very interesting clip. Um, that kind of, I feel like it puts us in an interesting direction. So okay. bear with me. 
But they're telling me, now that I made a little money, I have to move here. So it's not like no one's ever trying to deal with this section. They're just moving away from it. And we're going to have more stars coming from together, but they're going to they're gonna all move this way. You know what I'm saying? So it's like all, all the society is doing is leeching off the ghetto. They use the ghetto for their pain, for their sorrow, for their culture, for their music, for their happiness, for their movies, to talk about boys in the hood. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to be another young, I don't want to be 50 years old at a BET We Shall Overcome um, Achievement Awards. You know what I'm saying? Uh-uh. Not me. You know, I want, when they see me, they know that every day when I'm breathing, it's, it's, it's for us to go farther. You know, every time I speak, I want the truth to come out. You know what I'm saying? Every time I speak, I want to shiver. From the incredible poet Tupac Shakur, uh, what do you think about that? Like when we're talking about black talent, I, 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 what was really interesting was two things. When we dissect it, first he talked about how um, they utilize the black experience to push out their own self interest, and you know um, whether it's the hood aesthetic or just our talents in general. And yet, at the same time, then we're, you know, he says, I don't want to be 50 years old at the BET Awards. And he never, obviously, man, he died at 25, unfortunately. But, like, doing these performative things of, like, this, this performative basis of, you know, black, um, like, we've actually achieved something. Or we're trying, we're still trying to do something. And, it, and nothing's really changed. And I just thought that was a really, really fascinating clip to really like pour into and especially when we're talking about how like this halftime show um for me it's interesting because Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre um for my generation was never really considered a <laughs> a you know a normalized um act you know but now here they are in the world's biggest stage being thrusted out um and I have different thoughts behind that and then obviously Mary J. Blige and Kendrick Lamar, but I, it's just—it's very fascinating to me to see how, once again, black talent is being used to push, you know, a white space. I was looking on—I um, was browsing Facebook earlier today, and I think it was in Houston, the bus system dedicated a chair to Rosa Parks. Oh yeah, I saw that. It's, uh... Or <laughs> if I go into Nordstroms and they have. A black history section. Okay. Same with Target. Or Bath and Body Works has recycled some of their fragrances and, and put a put kente cloth on it. That's fascinating. So when I think of when I hear this clip and and I, I hear Tupac, I also hear white men who are in Tallahassee, Florida, ensuring that white people are not uncomfortable in these types of conversations. I hear the many Republicans and some Democrats who are not seeing a need to actually pass substantive voting rights bills, mm -hmm. protections for black and brown people. That's what I hear. And then I hear the Martin Luther King quotes on these very same weekends, which is very odd, right? Mm -hmm. um, Bernice King said, made a quote you post today be how you live and represent my father each and every day mm -hmm. on his birthday weekend. 
And no, Tupac was not getting that deep with it. But I think a part of what he's saying is don't just love us for, you know, when it's entertaining, but love us when, you know, we need it most. Love us when it isn't popular. Love us when it's uncomfortable. And when I hear that and I think of like where we are and and you're talking about just this topic in itself, Mm -hmm. I see a country that is persistently trying to demonstrate how much they're helping black people, but they're doing it in ways that um, are performative and not substantive because what change does that bring to communities who are suffering every single day? You're bringing something like the Super Bowl to L.A. In Inglewood. In Inglewood. Yeah. When people are getting robbed at brunch in broad daylight, you have Ice-T issuing warnings for rappers coming to L.A. Like, people are suffering. Yeah, you know what's fascinating is that, it's not fascinating, it's sad. Um, a lot of people don't realize that L.A., especially that that particular section, um, L.A. in general is having a homelessness crisis, you know, beyond anything we can comprehend and the Super Bowl and the city of LA or the NFL rather and the city of LA have really gone to this thing of trying to remove the aesthetic of the homelessness because they don't want it when they're doing these scenes from LA to show these homeless cities you know when they, you know these camps that are been um, taking over the landscape of Los Angeles and they've been removing them because they're trying to create the appeal of you know Los Angeles and all this other stuff, but it's really um, an area that is um, ripe with inequality, mm-hmm. you know. And I just think it's interesting how, uh, again, corporations and the government have come together uh, to really silence something. And there's a theme there. We'll get to that with Janet because I think there's something that belongs to that. But, um, you know, going back into like this using black talent as a vehicle to push, you know, white interest. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Like, and I, I know I, I brought in I'm an inventor and I did that purposely because I didn't want to just show it just for entertainment, yeah. you know, but just your thoughts on how we take in how black talent is often used to, you know, push a narrative that's not really our own, you know, but it's, they, they always come running to us. When they need something, but it's we're very easily cast aside when they're done with the utilization of our talents or culture or anything like that. So I think that um, you can look at it a couple of ways. In some ways, if you give someone like Kendrick Lamar a stage, I think that Kendrick Lamar could use his voice and use that type of platform to really say something substantive. Right. Where whereas you give Snoop that platform and it's not that he won't be just as substantive, but I can't get him smoking weed with Martha Stewart out of my head, right? <laughs> like you know, right. like it's more of a I don't want to say say shucking and jiving, but I I look at that more than when Kendrick is speaking and what he has to say. I'm thinking like freedom with him and Beyonce. I'm thinking of like just mm-hmm. like a different type of vibe when when you're talking about him. I think that when they put certain things in our in our faces, 
Mm-hmm. It opens up doors. So don't get me wrong. It opens up doors for others. It opens up a conversation. It opens up conversations. But what we've been hearing as of lately isn't about how dope it is for Snoop and Dr. Dre to be on that level. But it's, you know, the let's make sure, you know, we keep our penises in our pants. I got to yeah. tell Snoop to keep his, you know what I mean? Yeah, so, like it's still the the basing of the history of how they just, how they did Janet and everything yeah, like that. Yeah, which I, think, which I think is super corny. It was way corny. It was way corny. But I do think that there is an opportunity for substantive change to happen. I think as we're talking about the Super Bowl and we're, and we're talking about how, like, what do, what, do they, what do they do when you have black coaches suing for lack of diversity? I saw a graphic earlier where it identified, like, one black coach one black GM, like, you know, and then you go and you have hundreds upon hundreds of black players. Mm-hmm. What are you doing for those people in that space, particularly considering the environment mm-hmm. of this country? You know, that black space matters. Mm-hmm. Having representation, not just on a football field, matters. So I, so it's, I think it's a culmination of so many different things that, we we see it and we're like, oh, that's super dope. Like this is going to be a super black halftime show. But then what? Right? Like mm-hmm. we asked for black coaches, and obviously this halftime show was planned a long time ago. But they're right. like, well, we're going to give you all these black performers. Right. So this is what we're going to give you for right now. We can talk about the black coaches later. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Um, they asked for more representation, and then they're like, all right, well, we're going to throw Mary J. Blige in there too. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. just it's odd. Like the, the the placement and what the NFL is doing is I particularly I know we'll get into it later, particularly considering their partnership with, with Jay Z, particularly considering how hard they were supposed to be fighting for equity mm-hmm. and to ensure that there were no you know, no racial bias and you know, et cetera, et cetera, following Colin Kaepernick. But what have we what have we seen? Right. So there's two two thoughts for it, right? Um because yes, it's opened up a conversation. Like I remember, and I brought up Beyonce in 2013 as, as a um, point because um, she utilized her performance to almost make it like it was a, they call it like, it was like a very black centered performance, you know, and the con, not the country, but the conversation surrounding, especially on Fox news was how Beyonce be, turned the Super Bowl halftime show into militancy and all these other things. Yeah. It just put their imagery, right? And you know they, that was a very big thing, and I think the Super Bowl, show, the Super Bowl halftime performance can be a conversation generator. The the thought I have though is, does that conversation, where does it go after that? Because you know, I think about in two thousand in December two thousand twenty, George Floyd happened, and that was a conversation starter. And you saw corporations really do all these performing things about you know. BLM and all these things and black spaces and all that. And then that kind of like dissipated. Once that conversation ends, like no, things really didn't change. You know, you know, things really didn't shift entirely. Right. Correct. And so, you know, I hear when people say, Oh, it's, it's good because it, it puts the focus on, on art, but you know, we don't need any more focus. Right. We need more action action as what Tupac was saying. Like it's, I, I don't we don't I don't need more attention on the things. And 
you know, I think what was like really interesting was like Dr. Dre's statement, and I'll play this right now. Happened a long time ago, as far as hip hop. Hip hop is the biggest music, the basic biggest genre of music on the planet right now. So it's crazy that it took all of this and all of this time for us to be recognized you know so i think we're going to go on and do a fantastic show and we're going to do it so big that they can't deny us anymore in the future mm. but you know what's really weird about that statement who's been denying hip-hop who's been denying hip-hop because nelly and diddy no nelly did it twice and diddy did like i don't you know sometimes when you're not in spaces you you don't understand what other people are going through and i'm like dude like not you, Beats by Dre. Like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah. who, denying what exactly? Yeah, like, I don't understand, like, what are you talking about? They're not going to be able to deny us. Like, they've never denied, you know, and it, it, yeah, he, he said it was out hip-hop, but they, as long as black talent's on this planet, they're always going to put black talent on that stage. That was a dumb comment. It that was, was a, a, it was a dumb statement. It doesn't make sense. Like I guess I guess I with need no to see historical this relevance. Yeah, yeah, like what are you talking about? That's just like you just talking to be talking. Like that makes no sense. It makes no sense. Like right? have you not heard like the timeouts and everything else? All they are playing is hip hop. I'm not hearing Maroon Five and all them at, at halftime or during the intermissions or or timeouts and none of that. They're playing. Freeway, <laughs> not for real, but like, but right, you yeah. know, like Meek Mill, like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like yeah. whatever is popping, like that's what they're playing. Mm-hmm. So denying hip hop during a football game is a silly comment. To it's, ca- it's giving very much 1992. Like, yeah, maybe 92 they weren't like really like pushing it. But, you know, uh, and, you know, hence the idea of like Dre might be stuck in that <laughs> in that time, which you know, it's interesting that they use Dr. Dre and Snoop because it's like funny now. We'll, I'll, we can go through Target and I'll hear Snoop playing, you know, and I, yeah. and it's like, or I'll go through Publix and I'll hear, I can hear nothing but a G thing. And I'm like, I remember like distinctively remember this being almost not be, not being able to um, play on MTV. And it right. like, it was, now it's, it's normalized, you know, and it's homogenized almost like, because the people who grew up on that, Especially the white people, the older white people now, like now, it's normalized. You know, they love that music. They love that music. They can, they can admit it now. They've always loved it, but now they can admit it, and it's something that is, um, it's now palatable for the entire, you know, world. But the fascinating thing about uh, Snoop is Snoop has always been mainstream. Like, there's nothing about Snoop that is like a subculture anymore i mean he's got cooking show he's got game shows he's got you know snoop is international he's probably the biggest technically speaking he's probably the biggest star on the stage yeah you know he's bigger than i know dre's got probably more money but, but snoop is snoop snoop, snoop is, got shows in martha stewart yeah <laughs> snoop's the biggest pop star on the stage you know i know he's a hip-hop he comes from hip-hop royalty but he's the biggest pop star and so again i don't understand like this denying us Thing. I don't understand what that is. Like, I think the conversation so weird. is weird. I think the conversation should be like, you know, they can't deny, you know, changing, you know, changing the uh, and you and and changing culture within the NFL or changing corporate culture. Like, I, I felt that would have been more of a stronger statement. But again, 
you know. Yeah, I mean, I'm. I didn't listen to the whole interview. I I was admittedly listening to like sound bites. I I didn't have time to listen through like his whole interview, so mm-hmm. I could be taking you know that one sound bite and calling it corny and stupid, you know, without the bigger picture, but. Based on everything else I heard from it, I, I don't think that there was like this discussion that extended beyond what he thinks. Race and believe. social issues. It was nothing. Correct. There was nothing pertinent. There's, you know, Correct. about that conversation outside of the fact of, you know, the opportunity. Yeah. Which is, again, a weird statement for me because. I didn't know there was a shortage of opportunities for black people. I didn't know there was a shortage of opportunity for Snoop or Dr. Dre. Yeah, I mean, I just it seems like they're always bringing black artists in some form and put, making them a part of the Super Bowl in some way. So that could be my own ignorance and not seeing that there was there's not a dearth of opportunities, okay. you, you know, there's not. And so like that, even Mary J. Blige, you know, her statement, which was. Again, weird. Real. You know, they always say you don't get paid to do the Super Bowl. Is that what's happening? That It's just a major look, right? I mean, I'm not trying to get into Listen, your you're going to be paid for the rest of your life off of this. Off of this. Yes, man. People are going to be knocking at you. Listen, it opens so many you doors. You don't have to pay me. But if no. he was paying, it would be a lot of money. You know. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. but I'm good. It's amazing for you to say that. No, no, though. no. You know what I'm saying? You don't have to pay me. It's enough. No, this is. It this pays is itself. Major. It pays in itself. Yeah, this is opportunity of a lifetime. Man. Eminem says that and lose yourself. This is opportunity of a lifetime. <laughs> you feel me? You yeah. better lose yourself. Yeah, you better lose yourself. <laughs> for real. In the moment. Yeah. Two things are weird about that. One, um, this marriage is like. One of the is the probably a queen within R and B and is and is you know and so the fact that you know okay the world's gonna be experiencing Mary J Blige for the first time right um, which is weird because first you have two questions like who doesn't know who Mary J Blige is and at this point. Like, if you're going to be introduced to Mary J. Blige, are you really going to go back and listen to Mary J. Blige? Like, are you... I do think that people, like, when you... When I listen, when I... I could watch, like, an award show where I can watch something and, and it'll remind me I haven't listened to whatever it is in a long time and I'll go back and listen to it. Fair enough. But... And there are people who will be introduced to her for the first time. And, you know, I mean, I know we know who Mary J. is. I remember when I, when I lived in South Korea, we went to a Mary J. concert and I was like, this is wild. This is, I'm in Korea and we are out here <laughs> going to a Mary J. concert and Koreans knew every lyric to every Mary J. song. I, you know, I don't know. It's quite dope. I mean, I, I just, I have a weird thought. Like, I don't know if the 90 something million people, 100 million people <laughs> who are going to be listening, watching the Super Bowl are going to be like, Oh, that Mary J. Blige, who is this person again? I never even heard of her. Oh, I'm going to go through her entire... Ca- I don't know. Does that really transfer over? Or it just reminds people like us to like, oh, let's stream Mary J. Blige. Like, I know I know, people's streaming numbers go up after the Super Bowl. That, that, I, think that in, I think that's what she's talking about. And she just dropped a new album. She, so dropped, dropped, she just dropped a new she's album. She's going to go and do one song and then people are going to go Google or, Mary, J. You know, Mary J. Blige and see she has a new album. I mean, I think she won. So I get it. Like, you know what I mean? Mm. Like, I get that statement. And particularly, like, for people like Mary J. Blige, like, that isn't her, 
that's not her stage. That's not where like you're used to seeing like Mary J. Blige at. Not that it's not her stage, right? But that's not where we are accustomed to seeing our mm. queen or you know you whatever you want to call her. That's not where we're used to seeing her. So mm. I think for her, this is like a really just a really big deal, and it puts her in front of people who, you know, who she gets to share her world with. No pun intended. <laughs> no, but pun, pun intended though. Share All my world. Yeah. Um, again, though, like, are like I shifting it back in the conversation of just let's just take away from entertainment. Yeah. Um, what were your thoughts about the whole thing with the inventor and then tra- you know translating that into how currently how black talent is used in white spaces or over and often overlooked? Like, what what did you pull from that? And is it still re- is that conversation still relevant today? I think the conversation will always be relevant. I think that I don't know, like it's like a catch twenty two because I think that we feel that there should not be spaces that we have to still have these conversations in. Mm-hmm. We have that, right? But then we also see that these conversations are still necessary in how things are being legislated, how jobs treat certain employees. Mm-hmm. So I do think that there is a need. Is there room for both? I think so. But how it's executed, I think, is is where there's room for growth. So I don't know. Like, I think it's when you're talking about, I guess, utilizing black talent in these spaces, mm-hmm. I can see how for those artists, it's a big deal. I can see how for those artists, artist like Mary like you you can hear in her voice how excited she is about this opportunity I think that's excellent right for her to be in this game for so long and to feel like this is like the biggest thing to where they don't even have to pay her that says something about what this means to her and I think for her that's important and so for us is something that I'm that I'm like okay we can be cool with it because she's getting her flowers. That's how she feels like her flowers mm. are being given to her. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important too. Like is, is, is speaking They're They're speaking her love language, even if it isn't ours. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, that's dope for her. I think we have to be careful. And I know sometimes that we feel like when people get on these stages, particularly black people, when they're on these stages, they have to do something for, for us. And I think her showing up and being able to elevate herself, like, you know, with all that she's been through, I think that that's, that's, that should be enough for her. Mm -hmm. And so I think we have to be careful not to get so caught up in the fact that they're utilizing her for whatever reason, or they're putting her in this space for whatever reason without doing something for black people. I think in some in some context, even this whole conversation, I think we can just try to find like like a silver lining for the artist and still figure out how that space can still be a benefit to black and brown people, particularly from an organization that has claimed over and over again that they're going to do better and, and just have not. Mm-hmm. They haven't. And so I think that's the conversation. Can, you know, can she still be able to have her win? Cause this is a win for her mm-hmm. and the NFL still look at ways to 
not exploit black talent solely, but also use this as an opportunity to do something from the communities that they come from. So does does she have a nonprofit that they're not paying her? They're not paying her, but are they going to give to her nonprofit or are there organizations of color that matter to her. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, so basically what are the, what are the tailwinds of this performance yeah. that are, and I don't know if there are, I don't know. I that, I think that's where my thing is. Like, I, I just, I don't know what the tailwinds of you, use, using black talent to get people to the eyeballs on this Super Bowl. Like, where does it go after that? How does, yeah. how do how does it help? How does it push anything? Like, what is, I, I'm I'm just fascinated by these things because I I often get like a little bit like confused on how we're always so willing to jump in these spaces and then there's nothing else like that comes along with it. And that whether that's entertainment or politics. Yeah. Like we get we have people who jump into politics and then they say I want to, you know, I want to be representation, representation. And then when you get there, you're not doing nothing. You don't do nothing. You don't change the system. You don't operate. You just operate within it. And you be like, I'm just so happy to be here. And th- and that's kind of where I, I'm transitioning to. I just, I feel, you know, once we walk into those doors, and we have to walk into those doors, right? Because we can't, like, just solely operate in just black space. We have to operate in, in white spaces in order to either push ourselves our family or the culture we have to do these things but then then what happens next it's the what's next that really fascinates me you know and yeah use our ingenuity it use our talent use you know our experiences to yeah okay to make money because we live in a capitalistic world we can't deny that but you know what comes what comes after it is always my thing. Like, what are what is the the ultimate benefit outside of its representation? Because we can, we can't just keep doing things just for representation's sake. I agree. You know, and but do you think that sometimes people deserve to do just that? Do you think that sometimes people work so hard that their representation is is just enough? Like maybe she's opening up a door for somebody else, another black girl, you know. Who, who wants to perform one song at the Super Bowl. Like, you know what I mean? Like, is there space for that? You know, I'm going to sound really... Sc- this is going to sound really fucked up. Um, They're always going to want to utilize black women to do whatever, sell and sell products. But what, but what about when they want to be used? What do you mean by that? Like she want, like she clearly wants this platform. Every, most people want a platform. Everybody wants a bigger platform, right? right? But to she sell. specifically said, "They don't have to pay me. This is going to pay me for the rest of my like." And no performance is no performance are ever paid by Super Bowl. So, so she's like, "I don't care about that. Mm-hmm. Like, I get to do something that is literally a once in a lifetime experience. Does she deserve that? This person that we say like she's worked her whole life." She's been in the game for what? Two decades minimum? Over two decades? Over two decades, yeah. She's been in the game for over two decades. She has given a lot of herself for, you know, the culture. Mm -hmm. Does she deserve to do something for herself? Sure. Sure. Why not? But I guess my, my statement is, I don't know. Should I just be happy that we get 
representation in that space because it's not like we're never we it's not like that's the that's the first time it's not groundbreaking it might be groundbreaking for mary jiblage and we can celebrate her for breaking the success barrier because there's really no was no there was no color barrier at the super bowl right there was no you know genre music genre barrier correct you know and so it was you know i guess uh um something to check off the list i performed the super bowl yeah that's great what else? Like, what do we what do we gain from what? Like, what is I the mean, gain? What, what else is AOJZ? When you said <laughs> when I come in, I'm going to be getting dirty and I'm going to do the real work. I remember um, he talked about like not doing things in front of the media, and he'll be you know making sure that he has an impact and that things are happening as a result of him being there as it pertains to racial and social justice i'm not saying it hasn't happened what i'm saying is i think had it been happening in a way that it probably should be mm-hmm. we will see it everywhere the in at the, at the at the point in time when the nfl is is being sued for racial bias and discrimination yeah. and blah, blah 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 you would think that that would be time for them to put out their billboards and say this is what we're doing and mm. communities across this country are benefiting as a result yeah. of this partnership that we created with Rock Nation. I'm not saying it's not happening. What I'm saying is I find it extremely odd that we're not hearing about it. I know um like when things happen, you always see like Beyonce and Jay Z have, you know, participating in whatever it is that right. you and know that, operate, that's going operate, on. They and don't it, operate with everybody knowing. Yeah. Which which is perfectly fine. Right. But when you intentionally enter into that type of partnership with a specific purpose and focus on bringing racial justice and social action initiatives to the country through the NFL, I do think that that's a different story. Mm-hmm. And so I'm looking to him more than I'm looking to Mary J. Blige who's performing one song. I'm looking to Rock Nation to to say when you guys did this partnership and people thought it was just a publicity stunt to direct attention from everything else that was going on. And y'all made these statements that you were going to do certain things and you haven't. What's up with that? So let me play this clip. I think the biggest issue people have is they want to know how you could partner with the league on social justice when Kyle Kaepernick, who brought it to the attention of the masses by peacefully protesting against social injustices, still out of a job. Yeah, that's a great question. I think that, um, uh, I think we take it back. I think that we, we forget that Colin's whole thing was to bring attention to social injustice, correct? So, uh, in that in that case, right, this is a success, right? This is the, the next thing, right? Because there's two parts of protesting. You go outside and you protest, and then the company or the individual say, I hear you. What do we do next? Right? So for me, there was, for me, this is, for me, it was like action, actionable item. What are we going to do with it? Like everyone heard, and we hear what you're saying, and everybody know I agree with what you're saying. So what are we going to do? You know what I'm saying? So reach millions and millions of people and or we get stuck on Colin not having a job. It's, you, you know what I'm saying? Sir, would you, would you yield or would you stand? What? I, what? Would you yield or would you stand? Um, okay. 
I think we've passed kneeling. You know, I think it's time to go into uh, actionable items. So what are they? Yeah, what are they? Right. Um, I remember um, <laughs> Roger Goodell <laughs> said that his conversations with Jay Z have been ongoing. You know, inspiring. Oh, he called yeah. them inspiring. Yes, he's yes ongoing. But he, I remember he called them inspiring. Mm-hmm. And he talked about not just what they could achieve through like entertainment, mm-hmm. but what they could achieve through their partnership and for the communities that were impacted by injustice. Mm-hmm. Um, he said that JD's perspective was going to drive them in the direction that they went as far as Social justice was concerned. So let, let's play the, the devil's advocate. Let's say I'm a fan of what happened with Jay. Like he 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 took on the mantle that MTV did, was to make the Super Bowl halftime show more culturally and you know relevant. Yeah. And he said, "Hey, you know what? And I'm going to use some of my social capital to make it cool again for artists to come back into the fold. You know, right? In exchange, I need something from you guys." I need you guys to be 10 toes down in this cultural structural change that involves my community. Let's say he did that, right? Cause Jay-Z is a very smart man and I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. Is it too early to say, you know, that we, we haven't seen any change or is it too early to say that change is coming or, or is it, can we make an assessment that, okay, it was really, they haven't upheld the end of the bargain. Jay-Z's upheld his end of the bargain, but or is Jay Z not doing anything? Like, is it like, is that a, are those fair questions? I think it is a fair question. I I remember. I think it was back in twenty twenty. Um, it was reported that he had got Jay Z had gotten the NFL to commit a hundred thousand dollars, hundred hundred million, yeah. excuse me, hundred million dollars to um, social justice outreach and causes over the next ten years. Right. All I'm saying is. Which, when you break down the numbers, over 31 teams for over 10 years came out yeah. to be like $500,000 from each team. So, which is pathetic. <laughs> so, so I understand they have what Inspire Change. That's right. one of their initiatives for um, like police and criminal justice reform and yeah. economic advancement. I think that that is one of the things that they that they are doing through Rock Nation. Mm-hmm. Um, but but that's a lot of money for when I did the research for me to be able to say this is this is what right. what they have you know arrived at right. So by the way, it's three hundred twenty two thousand five hundred eighty dollars that each NFL team has to send out um, each year to the for a cultural change. Is that enough? It's three hundred for billionaires three hundred twenty two thousand dollars. No, it's kind of. Ridiculous. It was a big number, $100 million over 10 years, but that's, like, insulting. I think it's insulting. I think it's a start. I think that when you are, again, like, going back to to Goodell saying that he's listened to Jay-Z and that he is going to be led by Jay-Z for these movements, I think that we should be able to articulate what has come from that partnership mm-hmm. and if inspire change is the only thing that we can really think of, then I would say that they're not doing enough, particularly if that's the amount of money that they are contributing to 
this type of cause. I think it could it could definitely be bigger. Um, and and considering that they are still facing so much backlash and and so many challenges, I think that they should probably look to more organizations or or take take some more initiative to to do something different than what they're currently doing to to show that they're more focused on truly improving. You cannot keep coming out when people are making accusations against you saying we'll do better. You have to at some point start actually just, just doing, doing better. better. Right. Like just you know doing what I mean? Better. Right, right. Like he after the after, you know, the head coach came out or a former head coach came out recently with the lawsuit, they went from these claims are baseless to all right, we'll do better. We can do better. Well, yeah. We we have we have been trying. We're not getting it right all the time, but but we're trying. Well, at some point you have to stop trying and actually start doing or people are going to not believe what you're saying anymore. And I think that Goodell, however you say his name, he needs to be responsible for what they're not it's, doing. Goodell's is a it's a high paid errand boy. He's not He's the commissioner. He's the face. He's, he's responsible the, for he's everything not, that happens. But the voter governors, which is the NFL owners, are, are, of course. are the ones who are running it. Naturally. And, and if they're like, I don't want to change anything, I don't really care that I can ask for a billion dollars stadium be put in the middle of Inglewood and displace people and housing and businesses in a black community. And I'm not going to really invest in that community. Like mm-hmm. that stadium was like over a billion dollars. Yeah. Like it was there a commitment from, you know, from the, the that team from the team that was like, all right, we're going to go ahead and, you know, do a, a, a and invest over a billion dollars into the community. Probably not. I, wanna, I, don't, I didn't hear anything. I didn't hear anything about a billion dollars invested into the black black community. over I, there. I didn't either. So I want to go back to when you said, you know, Goodell is just an errand boy. And it's just like when people are mad at Joe Biden and we're like, well, you got, you know, remember, come on, Schoolhouse Rocks. We know how all this works. At the end of the day, we're not going to go to, you know, the owners and say, do better, do better, do better. We're going to go. We're going to do both. We're going to go to them. Right. Separately. But at some point, when this as the face Mm -hmm. of this partnership, as the face Mm -hmm. of the NFL, when does he have to take responsibility that he is not doing or he's not using his position to get done what people are seeking. So if you come out with Jay-Z and say that you're going to commit to this partnership, then we coming back to you. And we, I'm not we, we going see, to. Right. And I don't care about black Jerry performances. I don't, I don't care that hip hop is on the stage. It's nice to see. I yeah. don't, I don't care. Like it's not that I think that's where I'm at with it. Like, yeah, I don't care that our performers are like, I love Kendrick Lamar, you know, I love Kendrick Lamar. And I, again, this is show, this podcast is being recorded prior to the Super Bowl. So he may have done some messaging that was like unbelievable. That is reticent and it sticks to the bones and it may create conversation. And I apologize if he, this happens and we didn't address that in this pod. But in reality, it doesn't really shift anything, really. Like when Joe Biden says, you know, nothing will fundamentally change, right? <laughs> it's like, I feel like these things, nothing will fundamentally change. What's really going to change is when owners be like, yeah, it's cool to have black talent. I don't, you know, but we're, we want to change communities. 
because we're utilizing talent and space. But we also Literally. don't want owners at the halftime show, right? We want Kendrick Lamar at the halftime show. We want show. Kendrick Lamar, but it's, it's, but it's fine. I don't even care. I, and now this is Cheryl Crow. I don't care if Cheryl Crow. Mm-hmm. I'd rather have, you know, like, I don't care. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't matter. It's nice seeing Mary J. Blige and Snoop and all that. It's nice. These are nice things. Yeah. But if you're putting a billion-dollar stadium in a black neighborhood, which often these stadiums are, are they are in the Orlando Magic was not was not built in the suburbs. The, that stadium was it's literally built in the middle of Paramore. In the middle of Paramore, <laughs> right? And so, like, you got these along with the soccer center, right? Along with the soccer stadium. So when you got these things that are put in black spaces, I want to see revitalization of the community that doesn't require them to be, you know. You know, we don't want them obviously kicking people out, right? We don't want to like gentrification, but that's ends up, ends up what happening, right? Because when they talk about investing in the community, it actually come, turns into a gentrified space. It's no longer black. Now it's, you know, all lives matter type space. Everybody gets everybody gets a piece. Yeah. Right. And so that's where I want to see. It's like when you're utilizing talent in spaces, then I want to see the the end result from that and in a perfect world is the investment in the very people in space that you use to push out your own products, image and, and objectives. I think that's fair. I think that's a fair ask. You know, I, I know my, my friend Rob and we had a conversation and he says, Oh, you know, we got to give Jay-Z time because you know, he, his whole thing is to, you know, get into NFL ownership. And, you know, he's working along with it because we all know Jay wants to be an owner and not just like a like a one point five percent owner that he was or point oh eight percent owner that he was with the New Jersey Nets. Right. Or Brook, uh, Brooklyn Nets. But I guess my question is, and there's other stories that other black billionaires are trying to get into the owner suite. Representation is great. Is is it enough? Let's say whether it's Jay Z or another group of black billionaires that jump in and become owners. Would that set would that satiate you when you see? Oh, we got a black ownership in NFL, or do you want to see what is the end result of having black ownership? Like, what do you? I think black ownership is important when you have someone at the it for the same reason why it's important to have black people in you know at the at the table at this at the table in these companies. Mm-hmm. And politics, I think it's it's the same thing. Being in a room. I think having is 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 my belief that when you have black people in these rooms, when you have black people as a genuine voice in these conversations, it does change things. Mm-hmm. So I think people asking for black ownership mm-hmm. and 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 that voice is is clearly a necessity because there's something lacking in how things are currently being handled. Mm -hmm. So whether it's the experience, whether it's the perspective, whatever it is, I think that it will always be important to have someone there and know. I would never say that in two or three years, like we need to know like, what the end result is going to be or how perfect is going to be. I I don't roll like that. Mm -hmm. I do think, however, that 
when you're two years into a, a partnership or two or three years into a social we're, justice we're, we're movement. About, we're about three years in now, yeah. You have to be able to show something show along the way. Yeah, show and like, prove. Yeah. Why, like when we have elections these or any any election, whether it's midterm, general elections, the, the purpose of having them is when you're not, if someone is not doing what they need to do, it's time to put somebody else there. Either right. give them another ch- um, opportunity to fix it or you, or you change it. Mm-hmm. I think we have that system set up for a reason, mm-hmm. right? And so I, I do think that moving into year three or four or whatever it is at this point of this partnership, it has to be more. People than should just, be able yeah. to say, this yeah. is what I see. Yeah. Or the people in the league should be able to articulate what's happening mm-hmm. in Kamara. They are not, mm-hmm. they're not, they're still fighting for those same things. They were fighting for three or four years ago. Mm-hmm. Why is that? So we exchanged our cultural cachet and talent and we didn't receive anything. We yet haven't received anything yet to balance that out. Correct. And that's where I'm at with it. That's where I want to see the change in that because the power dynamic can't just simply us getting the opportunity to show our skill and talent. Mm -hmm. Because if you are, say a lawyer working in a company and you're displaying your skill, talent and aptitude to do the work, and that's great because you're the first in your community and family to get this big opportunity in this white, in this white silk stocking law firm. Yeah. But if you don't do anything on the back end and be like, all right, we're changing the way this thing, like we're bringing in more black associates. We are, you know, changing the way you guys operate within, you know, how you talk about my community or people. Like if you're just kind of there, I'm just happy to be here. Right. You know, then you're just taking up space. Correct. You're not, and I don't care about, your representation, because your representation doesn't amount to a hill of beans, yeah. you know. So we have to, we have to be okay with pushing the conversation forward. And okay, I'm glad, like, you know, we're beyond kneeling. I'm okay with being. I mean, are we really? But not really, right? But I'm okay with you saying that. If I can show and prove saying that, and because we're we're beyond kneeling, because these are things that are ha- have happened. Since we've given up our cultural cachet, because I, what I did love about Rihanna, Rihanna was like, I'm not performing until Kaepernick gets back in. And I'm not even, Kaepernick's going to be a whole other podcast in of itself. But I, what, I, what I did like is like, I'm withholding the thing that you want so much until I see that you have given us the change that is important. That is, that is socially relevant to my culture. Whether that's Kaepernick getting a job or us actually seeing communal community change on the substantive level. That was, that's what was important. And so when I see things like Snoop and Dr. Dre and Kendrick, it's like, okay, we're giving them this. We are giving them our, this is our gift. Kendrick's a gift. Mary J. Blythe is a gift to the world. We're allowing the world to see something that we cherish. She's a queen in our own, in our space. And is. And is a queen, right? And so we, we're giving her the, the world this this gem that is so special to us, and that we we've we've curated and we uphold and uplift. In return, I want to see something else because we're giving up something valuable, and the value cannot be simply just you seeing how great we are. That's fair, you know, um, and that's that you know that's where I'm at with it. And and I will say like I I don't hate the fact that I want to see black owners 
I want to see it. I like to see black owners, but I don't, that's not going to be enough for me, you know? Um, so I actually wanted to, unless you have anything further, I wanted to shift the conversation into, you know, I, I, I mentioned in the beginning of this podcast about somebody, a, a queen, speaking of queens and being performed at Super Bowl, how they were uh, brought into a space performed and then were quickly discarded once that performance did not become um, what they had their expectations. Right. And of course we're talking about Janet Jackson. Mm-hmm. You know, Janet did a whole documentary a couple of weeks ago and everybody, you know, poured into, it. I don't know if did you watch it. I did not. Okay. You <laughs> lost your black card. It's okay. Um, yeah, I can say did that. I? Yeah, I can say it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, shout out to the fact you brought wine to the <laughs> studio. <laughs> Please feel any offer it. Please feel free, anybody who wants to record a podcast, to bring libations. I have libations here, but I just appreciate the gift and the offer. There's zero black owners, one black head coach, one black president, four black general managers, and 984 black players in the NFL today. Established. Very unequitable. All right. Moving to Janet Jackson. <laughs> um, I want to... I want to talk about how she was canceled. See, the Janet Jackson thing is fascinating. Who was she canceled to? Um. Oh, she was definitely canceled. Her, she lost tour. She lost tour money. She got dropped from her label. Virgin, um, dropped her after one album because the album, the Demita Joe album, didn't sell because, of course, corporations. I mean, Demita Joe wasn't great. It's still at it. Okay, I'm not gonna get into what was great, I, but they didn't. They didn't push her. They didn't push it. They they dropped her, um, and they created a narrative to where she was essentially her career went down after 2004. You disagree or agree with that? I agree. Okay. Um, the sad part about it was is that how, you know, they were so quick to utilize her talent. And then when it became, you know, a, you know, offensive, offensive, um, they were so quick to discard her. And when I talk about cancellation, I talk about cancellation. I say you can't be canceled unless the corporation corporations cancel you. And it can't be like people don't don't cancel people. Like that's not. I hate when people. Oh, you're going to be canceled. Twitter can't cancel you. Like who gives a shit, right? Social media is not going to cancel you. What cancels you is when Twitter itself <laughs> you know takes you out or, or as, and as a corporation or in re- matter of fact the idea of bigger corporations or government agencies and i say that because cbs you know viacom the fcc all use janet as a scapegoat for you know their own personal initiatives CBS Viacom, what was owned by, and I want to make sure I get my notes here because this is important. Uh, Viacom at the time was owned by, owned CBS. And the people who were in charge of CBS was um, Redstone. Um, I forget his, let me go, let me not get to line. Let me make sure I get this right. Um, What's his name? I'll tell you the name right now. While I'm looking for it, um, CBS actually went and 
took Janet off the Grammys yes. post performance, mm-hmm. and then Les Moonves met Les Moonves, who was the um, chairman of CBS, then was on a personal crusade to cr- to create Janet's uh, blacklisting in the industry. Do you remember that? Sort of, kind of. Okay. So go ahead and continue to take my black card. <laughs> it's a shame, Keisha. It's a shame. All right. Um, hold on. This thing is not pulling up here. Where is this thing? All right. So anyway, Les Munevs, he actually went ahead and canceled um, Janet. And to the point where... He scapegoated her, and FCC Chairman Michael K. Powell um, telephoned the president of CVS, um, Mel Carsman, and, you know, Les Monevs, and told them that they had to give up the documents that were going to show the performance of, of Janet. I'm taking a long time to get to the place I want to get to. Um, the FCC then proceeded to create an investigation and this was actually pushed by American citizen group, a conservative group that for years wanted to tap down on television and make sure that they could have the, you know, create a more family safe atmosphere. They use this opportunity. They never, never let a crisis go. Um, <laughs> never, uh, never, what is it called? Never let a, a crisis um, go unused or whatever like that. You know the term, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and so they used this crisis to actually create um, initiatives that were able to then put restrictions on TV, and Janet Jackson became the face of that. Um, and it was easy to put pinpoint that, and they made Justin Timberlake the you know they allowed him to walk away and you know continue his career. And you know I know this whole thing about him like losing sponsorships, but he actually never lost any sponsorships. In fact, he ended up going on another career run. Where and even in he got to perform the Super Bowl again, um, fifteen years later after the incident. Um, so I say all that to say, and I, I I'm laying out the let me let me actually lay out the the uh, narrate of Janet Jackson. Janet Jackson's definitely a winner. No one was talking about Janet Jackson before you know eight p.m. yesterday, and now you know boom this morning she everyone's talking about Janet Jackson this is a woman who's 37 years old which is ancient in the world of pop music she's looking for a comeback she has a new album coming out all of a sudden she can be seen as a sex symbol slightly controversial we saw the Britney and Madonna kiss you need controversy to sell and um you know she's she's headline news this morning it's it's a great story for her who's the loser well this probably doesn't help Justin Timberlake I think Justin Timberlake you know he he is an endorser for McDonald's he's built his image on being you know a little bit squeaky clean teen idol you know no one wants to think of Justin Timberlake as the guy who disrobes women on stage and so you know we know that after the performance he was shocked and he was very he was completely mortified he was going around telling people oh my goodness my grandmother was watching that he went around to everyone at MTV who had produced the halftime show and apologized for what happened he seemed genuinely shocked he was genuinely shocked Super Bowl well it's probably not great for the Super Bowl you know this isn't supposed to be a family event where you know uh, young kids parents sit around watch a football game you know no one's talking about Tom Brady this morning they're all talking about Janet Jackson's breath so they can't they can't be very happy about this over at CBS all right well 
generally shocked. <laughs> he was generally shocked. I, I, just, I find that interesting because, of course, I'm going to have receipts right after the performance where Justin's comments were. So, you know, Justin wasn't necessarily remorseful and he was actually thought it was a great performance. It wasn't until two days later where, you know, Justin started changing up his tune when he started realizing that, oh, they don't like this. And then that's when he started saying, let me just get something off my chest. Um, you know, I've been on tour for the past three months. Got a call from my manager to uh, to do the Super Bowl. That that they were interested in me doing the Super Bowl, and, and uh, initially turned it down. Uh, got a call from Janet, uh, and decided to do it. Found out a way to work the performance into one musically, i.e., her song going into mine. Um, I wasn't able to uh, to be at a lot of the rehearsals. I flew in from Spain the uh, the last day. Justin was so steamed he came back after the interview was finished to say this. So the only other thing that I can say is that I do understand. I do understand how unfortunate this is. I do understand that there were a lot of people that were completely offended by what happened, including my own family. Probably the part that's frustrating the most for me, and um, it's completely, completely, completely regrettable. So here's I'm, I'm letting you know that first of all, Justin's was hilarious. It's hilariously shady. Um, it's not hilarious, but you understand my point. I lay out the corporations. I know it took me a long time to get to this. Um, so the background is this. Sumner Redstone, the 81-year-old chairman and CEO of Viacom in 2003, announced that he was willing, he wanted to step down in 24 months. The people who were, in, you know, he was trying to figure out who was going to be successor of Viacom, of his position. So he contacts his, uh, his uh, underlings, Leslie Monavez and Tom Freston. Leslie Monavez ran CBS and Tom Freston ran MTV Networks. Both were trying to jock jockey in order to get into that position of being CEO of Viacom entirely. Leslie decided to use, oh, he decided to use this controversy to ice Tom Freestone out. And because Tom, remember Tom was, had had MTV programming and MTV was producing the show in 2004. MTV then got, you know, what NFL quickly disbanded and said, you're never returning to producing the Super Bowl. (laughs) Right. Tom Freestone then obviously didn't end up really getting the position at uh, and Leslie and at using this controversy to highlight and to push up his own career advances and kept bringing in Janet Jackson as a um, as a reason to we must we must change the way programming and all this. So that point in that point, the ban on Janet was so incredible 
that following the incident, media conglomerates involved in the ban were Viacom and, and CBS, their subsidiary, and MTV and Infinity Broadcasting, Clear Channel Communications, enforced a blacklist for Janet Jackson's singles and music videos. That continued for years, right? Now, I know you talked about, like, you know, you didn't think that um, the media Joe was that great, but <laughs> Janet Jackson... Um, uh, uh, sing, uh, excuse me, album, Demita Joe actually came in at number two in the Billboard despite the controversy. And as she said, it was largely mishandled by Virgin. Virgin um, did not handle the records and they ostensibly dropped her very quickly. Virgin was the same company that gave her the biggest deal in record history, $80 million deal. So they, once they were done with her, and although, and it's, and the uh, Branson, Sir Branson even admitted that Janet Jackson helped me buy a new island. So he got he got what he needed to get out of Janet. And then when he was done with her, he discarded, he discarded her. Right. Yep. Once music got done with her, they discarded her. The long form statement I'm trying to make here is that. In order to get canceled. You need a concerted effort by corporations with their own particular interest, right? Les Moonves needed Janet to escalate his profile within the company. FCC used um, the American American Family Citizenship uh, Organization to get their conservative ideals placed on television. And Janet became the scapegoat of everything that transpired. And then she was ostensibly and directly blackballed why is that relevant today obviously because Super Bowl but there was an individual who's recent on the podcast he has the biggest podcast in the world name is Joe Rogan and people are like oh we can't cancel Joe Rogan and I laughed I chuckled and I was like Joe Rogan's not getting canceled that's ridiculous <laughs> you know why Joe Rogan's not getting canceled because Joe Rogan was received a hundred million dollars from Spotify the biggest streaming service, the biggest streaming podcast service in the world. And if Spotify is not going to cancel you, guess who? Guess who's, who's going to stay and be be okay, and they're going to continue going about their business. Joe Rogan, right? So I wanted to get into the idea of like how corporations can. Well, the idea about corporate cancellation. Like, what are your thoughts on? I know we did a lot of talking. You mean like are they real? <laughs> no, like can't like in order to get canceled, you it's do you believe in the concept like it's, it has to come from the a corporate structure, not from the people? Um, no, I think that people pressure put pressure on corporations. Do they? I do. I do. When you have like the like the India I read remember, first he kept saying he wasn't gonna apologize. Who? Um Joe Joe Rogan or whatever his name is. Mm-hmm. So he said he's not apologizing. That was the initial thing. Like he said what he said mm-hmm. until you have people back in NDIRE who eloquently stated why what his remarks were problematic. And that's when his apology came, when more people started speaking out about it. Because honestly, I didn't even know about what he had done or didn't do until I, I was listening to The Breakfast Club and I heard NDIRE talking. Mm-hmm. So I didn't even, I was unaware of it. So no, I, I do think that when it comes to um, corporations canceling you, it is absolutely a, a large part of it 
a lot of times is from the backlash that you that you receive from 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 other people. Let's keep it a buck. Let's keep it a buck. All right. Yeah. The people who listen to Joe Rogan's podcast, part and parcel, mostly most of them don't give a shit that he said those words. No, they don't. They don't. It doesn't even it doesn't even affect his listenership. It's not like you discovered something for them. They're like, oh, my God, I never knew who's this bad. They've been rocking with him for like a decade. It didn't affect anything. So if it didn't affect anything, is it going to affect the bottom line of Spotify who's not going to lose streaming of the, the number one podcaster in the world? Like, are they going to lose people who are tuning into Joe, Bun, Joe, uh, Joe Rogan? Well, that's probably why they didn't do anything. Because they're not losing anything. I know Neil Diamond and Tony Mitchell said, I'm going to remove my stuff from that platform. But are people, when you look at the numbers, I'm sure and Spotify has, you look at the numbers and be like, okay, yeah, people who are like listening to Joni Mitchell and Neil Diamond are not really the same numbers that are going to be producing a Joe Rogan podcast. Right? Correct. Okay. So, again, it comes down to corporations look at these things and they're like, yeah, we're not done with you yet. So, we're going to keep you in the fold. And he gets a lot of grace because he's a white man. Right? I know that's like really some people probably support Joe Rogan. be like, that's not true. But it comes down to the numbers. They're like, where we we can still see, we can use this horse. We can still ride this horse. So guess what? I know you're offended. Go ahead and do your do your apology. And it was a it was a it's a an apology that was like, I know this is authentic, right? And but it was like it was it didn't really seem there was like a lot of thoughts behind it. Cause even the the statements he used in that apology was like, Oh, I went got dropped off in the middle of the neighborhood. In fact, I'll just play it. <laughs> Whatever. I'll just play the, the damn thing. Another clip that I have to address. There's a clip from 11 years ago. I was telling a story in the podcast about how me and my friend Tommy and his girlfriend, we got really high. We were in Philadelphia and we went to go see Planet of the Apes. And we didn't know where we were going. We just got dropped off by a cab and we got dropped off in this all black neighborhood. And I was trying to make when the story entertaining. And I said, we got out and it was like we were in Africa. <laughs> it's like we were in Planet of the Apes. I did not, nor would I ever say that black people are apes, but it sure fucking sounded like that. Another. Cl- <laughs> like, how was that in your apology? Like- <laughs> when he said Planet of the Apes. And then he said, "Like black neighborhood." I was like, "All right." Yeah, and uh, you know, okay. and and you know, he had uh, people like, "Oh, well, he's not racist." Uh, whatever. I don't even want to get into like grading racism on Joe Rogan. What I want to get into is the fact that even in that apology, that would seem like it wasn't well thought out. It would just seem like it was a performative thing done to appease somebody, not black people. Probably appease maybe. Spotify CEO like we just need you to say something but it's not going to change anything I don't know if Spotify did tell him to to say something because they were like you know freedom of speech and blah 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 right but even if he okay said in my spirit I need to go ahead and do this you know the the sad part about it is he couldn't have said that about any other cultural group he couldn't have let's just be honest he could not have said that about you know against Jewish people he could not have said anything about like against Jewish people, the fact of the matter is, our we're easily accessible, and our culture is so easily accessible that when you offend us, 
it's easily discardable as far as like, it's not a big deal. You guys are focused on the wrong thing. You guys get to say the word, blah, 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 blah. And so our culture is so accessible. And again, it goes back into the whole Super Bowl. We, we give access to you in our spaces. And then when you don't know how to react to it, you don't know how to uh, uh, do right by us, you'll be like, you're, it's not a big deal. Access, continuing access diminishes exclusivity, right? Because now they feel like I'm comfortable enough to disrespect you. You agree yeah, or disagree? I agree. Yeah. Um, so I guess in that this little section, I just kind of want to, you know, focus in on how, like, we don't use, uh, we well, it's really corporations and it's really, um, yeah, corporations that go about using, uh, you know, black talent up to a certain point and then you know but there never is never any real accountability when it comes to like changing anything like there's not like joe rogan's apology doesn't change anything right you know um so anyway so i did want to say that as we're talking about cancellations I, I think it's important for us to be cognizant of 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 what that means in in black space and and how we can recover from that because Remember with Janet, she had she had a lot of um, high. She had a high, lot of highs, a lot of lows, and and one of the things that I appreciated about the industry or Black people who continue to support her was you know the Tyler Perry's that gave her comfort, gave her roles, um, lifted her up when everyone else discarded her. So I do think that what was lost and, and what's not often said in the conversation of the cancellation of Janet is how black people preserved her legacy. They preserved her career. They preserved her career. And, yeah. and I think that once they were done discarding her, they, it was black people, black culture that protected her, you know, yeah. put her on magazines. Like she was on more black publication, it was black media. She, and I think we can't get lost in that like because we got focused on who did what to Janet. Mm -hmm. But then we never discussed what we did for her, what our community did for her. And, and we never canceled Janet. So no, so yeah. we need to be clear on that. Mm -hmm. When I said Demita Joe wasn't great, it's just because it wasn't a good listen. Right? right. But Janet Jackson as a person was never someone who I'm like, oh, my God, she did something that is so warned I don't ever want to hear her name again no like we still supported her and I think that that can't get lost when when we see someone who has been put in position I mean look at look at the fact that she's like all right black people I've forgiven Justin you can forgive him too right right and no I didn't watch the episode or mm -hmm. any of the but documentary the clips, right but I saw that clip right she knew that if nobody else had her back we did that we did. And right. I think that that's important because it's, that was probably a very low moment for her, for her. And I'm probably sure she um, talked about it in the documentary. Yeah. But the fact that she had to tell us mm -hmm. stand down <laughs> and we were like, nah, yeah. Like yeah. I think, I think that that, that just, I, I wanted that to, I didn't want us to miss that point. I didn't want us to miss that. Oftentimes, you know, white America will try to cancel us. White America will try to tell us. White corporate America. Yeah. Right. White corporate America, white people will tell yeah. us what is acceptable and not acceptable, even in our own communities. And yeah. it's up to us. That was That's a classic example of black people telling white corporate America and white Americans 
No, you don't get to tell us who we are going to support. You right. don't get to tell us who we are going to cancel. Right. So the the same way that Justin gets to move on with with his life and career and career yeah. and go on, you know, is not only an example of sexism, but an, an example of white privilege. Right. And what you're not going to do, what you're not going to do is treat this black queen like that. Right. And so I agree with that. And I do agree. Like when we are put in spaces where, cause if we're pioneering into a space and we're the only black person in that space, right. Or the only black um, uh, face. It is, it is imperative on the community to be, uh, be gatekeepers or protectors of that legacy yeah. of that person, yeah. whomever, whether it's a black official in that role, like it's up to us to be gatekeepers of making sure that, you know, we're not going to let any and everybody to take spears and, 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 and dagger them. I think right? that's, I think that's something like, even with the expectation that Mary J. Blige is going to go and she has to do something for the community or she has to do something to lift up black voices or, or when these, or when these celebrities go, these black celebrities in particular, when they participate in a Super Bowl or some type of event like that, we do have an expectation that they're going to do something for us, but right. we also have to be prepared to, you know, stand by them and, and also lift them up more as well. Like right. I, I think that we have to make room for all of that. Right. That's so. fair. That's fair. Um, and we have to again we have to acknowledge how for Janet it was like you said the black Tyler Perry putting her in a movie yeah. you know um, you know 106 in Park featuring her music videos when MTV w- refused to do it it was BET although at the time they were owned by Viacom but BET you know put put Janet on and I think she did shows on, on 106 in Park mm-hmm. you know which is another thing too in, in a way you could say like why did you why did it have to wait for you to be ostracized from that space in order to, you know, do that? But it's, I don't want to get into that. You know, that speaks to another thing. Like you shouldn't have to wait to be quote unquote canceled from white corporate America in order to find, you know, um, value in the black space. Mm-hmm. Right. Agreed. That's something that we should always, we should discuss. And Agreed. that's often used as, you know, we're often even with our, again our own community uses our space. You know, when they need us to prop up their initiatives, and that's a and deeper. And they go and shit on us when they think we're not doing what we're supposed to do. So that's that's just the danger of like the expectations that we have on mm-hmm. celebrities, on politicians, on everyday people. Um, we we just have to be careful. We have to be careful with that. It's fair enough. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna give you your final thoughts on this on the entire subject. We're gonna go ahead and close out. What are your thoughts? My my thoughts are, I try to be careful about identifying what, like you know, how someone should show up and what they should be excited for, right? And I think that that's what it is when it comes to like the Marys and the. You know, Snoops and Dr. Dre. I think also when we are going on or or we are going through this era of social justice and racial, this racial justice movement, I do think that we have to hold people accountable for not giving us half-ass substantive in their, in their perspectives, things 
to hold us over for them not doing their job, right. for them not being a part of like solutions. I think when you have people in positions of power, in positions of influence, who are more than capable of u- utilizing their resources on a greater scale to influence what's happening in these communities, they should do so. And when you don't, we should call it to task. Mm-hmm. But I think that we have to be careful, not I think. It is my opinion that we have to be careful of not holding our people, you know, responsible for bearing the weight of of that, of those performative gestures. And yes, that includes Jay-Z. Yes, that includes Mary J. Unless you're entering partnerships to specifically do that, right? Right. <laughs> and when you don't, then yes, we hold you accountable. But I do think that we do have to hold organizations more responsible for what it is that they're doing and not doing to be change agents when it comes to social justice. Fair enough. So thank you, Keisha. You're welcome. Um, I usually like to close on a uh, love letter to black culture. And so uh, this letter is going to be dear black culture. Uh, We talked about a number of different things here, especially when it comes to the idea of like black culture and, you know, questions that were raised and like, what is the purpose? Yes, I want our talent to be displayed, but sometimes it's like at what cost, right? The accessibility that we just mentioned um, does lend itself to people getting really too comfortable with just, you know, either disrespecting us or not really acknowledging, you know, our pains or the things that, you know, can actually give us change. Um, So I guess the question is, do we keep that talent hidden or do we find other ways or avenues to display that talent? Can we do that? Or do we have to continue to say, all right, we're going to operate in these spaces, but in conjunction with that, with our giving you our access, can we actually get something that's substantive that's going to change and benefit our community? What can happen, though, is that if we risk bringing our ingenuity and our talents into a space that, that, you know, clearly values it, what is the value of something if they don't take you know, the things that are important to us and really try to make uh, and really try to give us an an impact. Is there really value in black talent? Because if that talent can be easily utilized, but not, you know, used as a substantive form of change, then the question is how, what is the value in that? So what can happen is the risk of bringing ingenuity into space that can be easily discarded like our Queen Janet. And these are like difficult questions. Like there are no certain answers. But like one thing's for sure, as like Janet once stated, that the question that corporations in America are always say in regards to black talent is, you know, what have you done for me lately? <laughs> <laughs> and that is something that we have to consider <laughs> when we have an idea of when black talent is being used, we have to ask a question, what have you done for me lately? In order for you to have access to so with that being said, I want to thank you guys for listening to this episode of Uncultured Bias. Thank you for Keisha for jumping in. And with that being said, because I name dropped the song, I think it's only appropriate that I lead us out with that. <laughs>